it has been a privilege to be with you this weekend. And I'm excited, so long as my knees still work after playing basketball all day, um, that I'll be in your local churches tomorrow. Um, so I'll be with JFC, GFC in the morning, and I'll be with Sovereign Grace Toronto later in the afternoon. Um, this has been a wonderful weekend. You are dear brothers. And one of the reasons why I love these kind of retreats, and I'm just a, a proverbial outsider, I feel so joyfully connected to you just after spending a little over 24 hours with you and you I I hardly know you (laughs) Um, and so these I call these moments like relational greenhouses Um, these are really strategic moments for us brothers getting together spending significant time pressing into the Lord's presence leaning into the word of God being goofballs and enjoying the grace of life, eating pretty good food for a camp. I mean, that's pretty good. (laughs) Um, This has been a great time. Um, And so I'm just, I would just encourage you that as you've been stirred relationally as brothers in Christ this weekend, um, don't, don't let that momentum um, cease on the other side. Um, Maybe there's been some brothers that you've gotten a little closer with this weekend, that maybe you weren't so close with before. Maybe you prayed with someone that you hadn't prayed with before, and um, there's, a, there's a meaningful gospel connection there. I would just encourage you to consider that one of God's unique gifts to you from this weekend, and allow that to continue to minister to you and function as a means of grace in your life on the other side of this retreat. And then again, just pastors well planning this retreat. Um, this was well done. Um, and it's been a joy to be here with you. I do want to make a couple recommendations um, of books that you can read, I think, that can help you um, continue in the, um, with the spiritual momentum we've encouraged from the topic we've been considering on pursuing int- intimacy with God. Um, the first one's very simple. I want to encourage you to memorize Psalm 63. Um, I want to encourage you to do that. Memorizing Scripture has probably been one of the single most disciplines um, that, have been, that have reaped the most benefit um, in my life as a follower of Jesus, I kind of grew up in a context, disciple in context where scripture memory was like almost like too gung ho. Um, <clears throat> but over the years of following Jesus and memorizing scripture has been how many temptations have been averted because of memorized scripture by the grace of God? Um, how many conversations have gone in a Godward direction because of memorized scripture? Um, how many times have I been able to pray for people in meaningful ways according to the will of God because of memorized scripture. I just want to encourage you to do that. Um, Make this cry of Psalm 63 your cry and don't necessarily even need your Bible open to cry it out. So I would encourage you to memorize that. And in light of scripture and its relationship to pursuing intimacy with God, uh, I I would be recommending this if I weren't here, um, but I am recommending a resource that's been developed by someone who is here, and this is called Take Words With You by Tim Kerr. Um, How many of you already have Take Words With You? Okay. I found out today this is like the, this is like the, what, what version of this did you call? I mean, this is like the, one of the oldest versions of it. The flip phone version, the flip phone version of it, right. <laughs> but I love the spiral back. I just love the spiral. You can flip that and do that. I mean, so there's a number, there's a number of versions of this. You can get it on Amazon. I don't know if there's an, an easier way to get it here locally. But this basically, I'll take words with you, is a manual that helps you use scripture to pray. Um, there's nothing more freeing for me. Um, there, there's nothing that gives me more freedom in prayer when I talk to God, knowing that I am actually claiming the promises of God when I'm praying. Um, knowing that God has said things and I'm saying them back to him and claiming them. And that provides, that, that, that leads to expectation and anticipation in prayer. Um, when I'm praying God's words back to him, um, I believe he loves to hear his sons and daughters Um, letting him know that we love and appreciate and cherish and claim the things that he said to us. That's part of a relationship, right? Um, So I think this would be a phenomenal resource that would help you as you pursue intimacy with God. Um, Another practical resource that I think would really, really help you, this is actually a book I just recently read, um, and my wife read it right after me, and we've we've not stopped talking about how practically helpful it is It's called The Common Rule by Justin Early. The subtitle is Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. 
Um, Justin is a, was a, is a former missionary to China, came back to the U.S. to pursue law, got his law degree at Harvard. Actually works for a law firm that I actually know the lawyers at, um, um, Gammon and Grange, um, out of Washington, D.C. Um, he works for their branch down in Richmond, Virginia. And um, this is a, this, this, I've actually interacted with him personally. Um, this book was basically written um, out of his desire to make sure that he organized and his life rhythms around God's two greatest commands, to love God and love your neighbor. If, I'm going to, if, if loving God and loving your neighbor is that significant, then I need to make sure that I'm ordering my life, the habits of my life, the rhythms of my life, in a way that orient me towards loving God and loving others. And I'll just kind of leave it at that. He basically, he suggests, and he just kind of gives you his story, how having a, a healthy, disciplined, organized life of habit and purpose has helped him um, be very intentional about loving God and loving others. And so he has four daily rhythms and then four weekly rhythms. And they're very, I would say, provoking and inspiring. Um, and the intent isn't to copy his but to come up with your own common rule um, for the way that you'll live your life on purpose. I mean, probably one of the most practical ones in here um, for me is one of his daily rituals is scripture before phone. (laughs) That's so current and so helpful. He kind of talks through why that's the case, and I think he's a lot like us. Anyway, so I just think this would be a very, very helpful book um, on a practical level. I wanted to, inc- wanted to recommend it. And then finally, I know this has got a new cover, but this one is very dear and well-worn to me. Um, when I Don't Desire God by John Piper, um, How to Fight for Joy. And maybe even just this weekend, it's been like, I hear what you're saying. I've, 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 we've exposited this psalm. You're, you're giving a biblical theology of why pursuing intimacy with God is on the heart of God and therefore should be on my heart, but I just don't feel it. I kind of get it up here. I'm not just feeling it right here. Anybody like that? This isn't, you know, right? We, whether you're there right now, we all get there. And so he wrote this book as kind of a follow-up to, to, to the, his book, Desiring God. And he basically interacts with most of the questions he got asked after he wrote Desiring God for why. Man, I know these things are true and, and those scriptures ring true with me. But I'm not really feeling it. Um, what do I do then? This book will help, help you with that. So I, I highly recommend this book. And this isn't exactly a toilet book, by the way. Um, this is one when you need to kind of like take some time to meditate on, unless you, you know, you sit for a while. So those are, I wanted to recommend those for you. And now once again, um, let's take our Bibles and go to Psalm 63. We're going to pray this out loud together, uh, one final time together this weekend. We're going to pray verses 1 through 5, but end at the word satisfied. And for those of you who didn't hear me say that this morning, you're hearing it now. My soul will be satisfied. We'll end end the prayer there. Um, And then we'll get into the second part of this, more of a seminar, um, working working out of um, the foundation that I laid this morning on a biblical theology of pursuing intimacy with God. So let us, let us pray the word of God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied. My soul will be satisfied. That is the word of God. May he add his blessing to its reading and praying by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're asking a question. We're asking a question, and it's why should we want to cultivate a regular rhythm of pursuing intimacy with God? Um, the, first part to the, uh, the first part of the answer I gave this morning was in relationship to the priority of pursuing intimacy with God. We were made for this. We've been saved for this. 
we will enjoy this in that prepared space that Christ is getting ready for us in the new heavens and new earth forever. God will be our God. We will be his people. We will be with him forever. If we're going to be with him forever, we better get used to being with him now and love it for all it's worth in this experience, this foretaste experience of God's presence. That's kind of what it's like now. What we're experiencing now is in, in terms of intimacy with God um, is a foretaste of the future in the present. Um, how many of you shop at Costco? Okay. My kids love to go with us when we shop at Costco. Why? Free samples, right? The free samples. What, what do the free samples aim to accomplish? They give you a little bit of a larger product so that the little bit that you enjoy entices you, encourages you, draws you into wanting to buy the whole thing. And so you eat that little, you walk up to that little booth and there's like this toothpick forest, you know, you know, of, of these little tiny pieces of sausage and you eat the little piece of sausage and you go, oh, that's good. Um, I think I want the whole thing. How many of you have ever bought the whole thing because you tasted the sample? Thank you for being honest. Um, I think I have a, a pretty consistent track record of at least buying one thing when I try a sample when I go to Costco or Sam's Club. Um, that's very similar to what's going on right now, my brothers. In our current encounters of intimacy with God. Um, we are just getting a taste of what it will be like in the day, the age to come, when we see him face to face. When all of our sinful tendencies, when all of our idolatrous inclinations are removed and we find ourselves face to face with God, enjoying him forever. And so what we taste now is but a sampling of what is to come and what we, what we know now is good, isn't it? But the best is yet to come. And so we go after it now, enjoying these foretastes of the future in the present, embracing this teaching that the giving and losing and restoring of intimacy with God is the, are the main chapter headings of the biblical narrative of redemption. And so this is really, without being... Uh, without overstating, without speaking in hyperbole, this is really what it's all about. It's really what it's all about. The gospel even, my brothers, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a means to this end. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ is not an end it is a means to this end whereby God has highly exalted him and, and given him a name that is above every name. Here it is. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, we will all be before him and we will bow to him and we will see him for who he is and we will utter words, confessional words of accuracy that describe who he is as we see him and we will worship him in wonder forever. That's where it's all going. And so let's, Let's enjoy the foretaste now, my brothers. Amen? Let's get in on it now. And so it's, it's, it's got to be a priority. It's got to be a priority. And so what comes from this? There's more. There's overflow. So as we, as we pursue regular, intimate fellowship with the triune God, um, there's another reason why we should want to do this regularly, and that would be because of the pleasure of pursuing intimacy with God. And I won't hang in this heading too long um, because we actually spent a lot of time in that category when we were exploring, expositing Psalm 63 last night. My soul is satisfied. But let me just, let me just get before you a couple other texts that use Psalm 63 language. And then I have a number of quotes here. I actually should have planned better and got these to the projection guys to put them up because I have a number of really amazing quotes here um, from, from men in church history 
communicating the pleasure they find in pursuing intimacy with God. And I, so I just, if, if, if you will just like let me do, do me the favor of letting me just read them because I love them. And I think you'll love them too. But here, here are some more texts. Psalm 1611, you've heard this. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What we're looking for in all the wrong places is found somewhere else. In his presence. As we considered this morning, Christ has opened the way into the presence of God. Christ has opened the way to draw near to him. And when we draw near to him, we don't just, we don't, don't just think Hebrews 4.16 language. We, we don't just draw near to him to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. We draw near to him to find joy, pleasure. God wants us to come to him just to enjoy being with him. And he, where are the married men in the room? Okay. You know what would really just add some like relational adrenaline to your relationship with your wife? If you would just look her in the eye and say, you know what? I just enjoy being with you. Guys, that will be a good night, okay? <laughs> just say it because it's true. You don't have to be watching anything. You don't have to be actually playing a game. You don't even have to be having a fantastic meal. There's those moments where you're just with her and being with her is the end. And it's just a joy to be with someone that loves you and that you love. And, and that is a, that's a human relationship. And I think David is saying, in God's presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Think about the, 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 the epitome of human joy in a human relationship. David is saying, in God's presence, it blows that out of the water. Psalm 36, verse 8. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the rivers of your delights. This is a good text to talk about how God wants to overwhelm us with joy when we gather for worship. You know, tomorrow when we gather with the church, we're entering into the house of God. You know what God, you know part of what God wants to do for you as his church? He wants you to drink from the rivers of his delight. He, he's, he's eager to pour out on you as you draw near to him rivers of delight. Psalm 43 verse four. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding Joy. Uh, don't gather with the church tomorrow, you know, just because you have to, or just because you need to, or you must. Because if you don't, you'll get a phone call from Julian. Where were you? You know, you'll get a call from Josh. Where were you? You know, um, I know you're tired. I know Ian put a beating on you on the basketball court. You know, but you, you didn't have to miss church. Um, <laughs> we should never want to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Why? Because we are drawing near to our exceeding joy. That's what happens when we gather in his presence. Psalm 73, 25, 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is enough. My portion. He is my enough. I really don't need anything else if I have him. He's still kind and gracious and generous and he gives. But he's my portion. He's He's an appropriate amount. So this is the language of scripture that describes God, not just as the one who lords over us and we must respond to him in obedience. That's part of the relationship. Um, But it's more than that. He is our joy. And to be near him is to know pleasure. 
listen to the testimony of those who found pleasure in the pursuit of intimacy with God. And I'm going to do this anyway. Augustine, <clears throat> he said Augustine. We just, there's, there's a couple ways to say his name. Augustine, fourth century church father, said the following. How sweet. All at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You, who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. If you know Augustine's story, I mean, this was a guy pre-conversion who in his day, I mean, he was like the Hugh Hefner. I mean, he was a playboy. He lived a very promiscuous life. He was the prodigal son. His mom, mother, prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him, but he just kept living it up in sin. And then God grabbed a hold of his heart. And what did God, what did God particularly use in revealing himself to Augustine that transformed his heart? He found that the pleasures of sin had nothing compared to the pleasures of God. I like the way John Piper talks about this topic. Um, he talks about when it comes to sin, we must fight fire with fire. God's call, the way that we turn from sin, and we talked about this this morning, the way we turn from sin is not just saying, I shouldn't be drinking from the cistern. We turn from the cistern by coming back to the fountain. We fight the pleasures of sin with superior satisfaction in pursuing pleasure in God. And that's how Augustine described his experience of intimacy with God. Jonathan Edwards, 19th century pastor theologian, in his sermon, The End for Which God Created the World, he says the following, God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by it being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. His glory is then received by the whole soul, both by the understanding and the heart. Again, we can, we can experience, we can hold to right theology and lack significantly in communion. Theology, good theology, sound doctrine has at its ultimate end marveling at the God who's revealed through Scripture. Marveling at the God who's revealed through the natural created world. David Brainerd, 19th century missionary to American Indians, wrote in his diary, Frequently, my soul has enjoyed much of God, but has been ready to say, Lord, it is good to be here. But of late, God has been pleased to keep my soul hungry, almost continually, so that I have been filled with a kind of pleasing pain. When I really enjoy God, I feel my desires of Him the more insatiable, and my thirstings after holiness the more unquenchable. And the Lord will not allow me to feel as though I have fully supplied, I've been fully supplied and satisfied, but keeps me still reaching forward. The more we enjoy him, the more we want to enjoy of him. The more we drink, we find our thirst quenched for a moment and then, then stirred to want more. Charles Spurgeon. I love Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> He preaches with me. Charles Spurgeon, in his October 6th entry, in his devotional morning and evening, wrote the following. He who is a believer in Jesus finds enough in his Lord to satisfy him now and to content him forevermore. There is such a fullness in Christ that he alone is the believer's all. The true saint is so completely satisfied with the all-sufficiency of Jesus, that he thirsts no more, except it be for deeper draughts of the living fountain. In that sweet manner, believer, shall thou thirst. It shall not be a thirst of pain, but of loving desire. Thou wilt find it a sweet thing to be panting a fuller enjoyment of Jesus' love. One in days of yore said, 
I've been sinking my bucket down into the well full often. But now my thirst after Jesus has become so insatiable that I long to put the full well itself to my lips and drink right on. And then he asks us a question. Is this the feeling of thine heart now, believer? Dost thou feel that all thy desires are satisfied in Jesus and that thou hast no want now but to know more of him and to have closer fellowship with him? Oh, I have so many more of these kind of quotes. I'll give one more. And since I'm in the Toronto area, I'll give one from A.W. Tozer. The Pursuit of God. The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. For having the source of all things, he has in one all satisfaction, all pleasure, and all delight. And at the end of this chapter, of this first chapter of the pursuit of God, he includes a prayer. And I probably prayed this prayer more than any non-scriptural prayer that I've prayed that someone else has written. Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I feel this way so often. I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. And maybe as we come together this weekend, you can say, well, honestly, if I'm really honest, I, I cannot say that I'm truly thirsty for more intimacy with God, but oh, I'm thirsty to be thirsty. I long to long for that. I want to want that. Is that, is that some of you tonight? It's me all the time. God, I want to want you more. Mm. Why should we seek to cultivate a regular rhythm of pursuing intimacy with God? Because God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. It's a pleasure. All right, another category. Uh, the profit of pursuing intimacy with God. Oh, there's so much good that comes on the other side of encountering the presence of God. And let me just give you two categories. Um, both, um, I could give many, but let me just give two that in particular the, the Apostle Paul unpacks in 2 Corinthians 3, one of the texts that Tim opened up our call to worship with. And here are the two categories that I want to suggest um, concerning the profit that comes from pursuing intimacy with God. First, it positions you for sanctification. And second, it prepares you for Christian service. It positions you for sanctification and prepares you for service. First, it positions you for sanctification. Intimacy with God is tr a transformative experience. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul says it's, it's a joy to, in, to encounter intimacy with Jesus Christ. It is wonderful to be able to behold his glory. But when we see him, we become more like him. Being with Jesus makes us more like Jesus. When we behold his glory, Paul says, we are being transformed the Greek word there is metamorphosi what's that sound like metamorphosis it's that process through which a, a, a slimy creepy caterpillar is transformed into a beautiful butterfly right <laughs> if you've seen Bugs Life okay um, 
I think of that every time I read this text. Look at me, I'm a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> that's, what's, that's what's happening here. When we encounter the presence of Christ, when we pursue him, when we experience intimacy with him, Paul says it transforms us. It makes us more like Jesus. Isn't it true that we become like the people we spend time with? We do. And for those of you who are married, you, you have these funny moments in marriage, or maybe you're even dating seriously, and you've been dating seriously for a long time, and, and, and you're, you're with that person a lot, and you find yourself at times like, oh my word, I just said that like she would. Right? And there are times where my wife will have these moments where it's like, I'm becoming you. Oh, please don't. You're beautiful. I'm not, okay? Don't become me. Um, but isn't it true? We become like the people we spend time with. And Paul's saying this is what happens when we encounter Christ. And so he gives this principle at the end of a chapter where he's just described the, 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 the ministry that New Testament saints have that's similar to the ministry that Moses had in the Old Covenant. And so this whole principle of being in the presence of God and becoming transformed to his image is based upon, as you go into the text and you read, I'm not going to get into all of it tonight, but you read throughout the text, verses 6 through like 17, leading up to verse 18, he's talking about Moses. Um, and he's alluding to an experience that Moses had with God that's recorded for us in Exodus 33 and 34. You remember Moses' desire, his passion, Lord, I want to see your glory. And the Lord calls him up to the mountain. And there in God's presence, he's there for 40 days receiving instructions for building the tabernacle. And then he comes back down from the mountain and he looks a little different. Exodus 34 verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone. And here's the reason. Because he had been talking with God. There's the cause. Moses was a different man. Why? Because he was communing with God. Moses was transformed. Why? Because he was communing with God. What's the point? Moses was being changed as a result of experiencing intimacy with God. And as Moses beheld him, he became more like him. He was beholding the glory of the Lord and he's being transformed into the same image. And Paul's point is not just Moses, but we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. What was for Moses was unique in that old covenant experience. But broadly speaking, because of Jesus, we have access to the very same presence of God that can transform us just like it transformed Moses. You realize that, right? God's passion for your life is that you would become more and more like Jesus. This is another implication of being created in the image of God. When God said, let us make man in our image, that was not just God saying, we want you to have this privilege of being able to commune within the triune Godhead. There's also an aspect to that great privilege that also includes a great responsibility, and that is to represent him, to reflect him, to display him. So we could say to be made in the image of God is to be made for the purpose of reflecting the glory of God. How many of you have ever seen like a professional fireworks display? Right? Uh, we, we, our city does fireworks to the nines. We're the birthplace of America. We're the city of rebels. <laughs> we forsook the crown. And uh, we throw a party every 4th of July because of it. <laughs> And so where I live in Philadelphia, I was telling someone this, I live, um, I, 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 run a f I run 5K pretty regularly from my doorstep to the 
steps of the art, Philadelphia Art Museum, which is also known as the Rocky Steps, okay? So most people know them. And so there at the Art Museum, every 4th of July, behind the Art Museum is the most amazing fireworks display. And so where our house is, we actually have a roof deck on the top of our third-story house. And so we invite people over and hang out on the, on the roof and celebrate rebellion and watch the fireworks. <laughs> and so not to get too like philosophical about fireworks display, but what do fireworks exist to do? Fireworks exist to take the many colors of the rainbow and put them on display in a very loud and noticeable way. And we look up into the sky like a bunch of mesmerized morons going, ooh, <laughs> ah, oh, right? You were created in the image of God to be a fireworks display of his glory. To take the many colors of his glory, his mercy, his love, his grace, his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, his honesty, his wisdom, his integrity, and we take those multiple colors of his transferable attributes and we put them on display through our lives like a fireworks display where God looks at it and doesn't go ooh, ah, oh, but he says, it is good. It is very good. That's what I made you for. To put me on display. After the fall, that image was marred, not absolutely abolished, And in Christ, that image is being restored. And so how is the image of God being restored so that you can be more a more more clear and full and vibrant display of the glory of God? How is it happening? As you spend time with him, you become more like him. As you pursue intimacy with God, with God who is loving and merciful and gracious and kind and just and holy and righteous, your life increasingly becomes more loving and merciful and kind and righteous and holy and just. It's the way we change. It's the way our lives are transformed. It's relational. Intimacy with God positions us for sanctification, but it also prepares us for service. We all have callings. We all have work to do. We all live somewhere, work somewhere, or want to work somewhere, um, and have a local community, a local church that we are a part of for worship and mission. You have work to do. You have been uniquely designed by God to make a significant contribution to what God is doing in this world to put the broken pieces back together in Jesus' name. What's going to prepare you for that contribution you make? What's going to make you more effective, a more effective leader in the home? What's going to make you a more effective employee at your workplace? What's going to make you a more effective servant in your local church? Spending time with God. Being in the presence of God was having such a deeply transformative effect upon Moses' life in, in Exodus that it was impossible for others not to notice. And so we read in Exodus 34, verses 30 through 33, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. You'd probably be afraid too if someone comes down from the mountain looking like a human neon sign. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near. And he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken to him at Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking, they they put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the people of Israel what he was commanded. And the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining, and they'd do what he said. What prepared Moses, what gave him credibility, what gave him leverage to do what God had called him to do and leading the people of God to do what he was instructed to do, namely build a tabernacle in this context? Why did they give their gold? Why did they give their materials? Why did they contribute in the offering? Because they could tell that when Moses came down, he had been with God. Husbands, your wives can tell when you've been with God. 
and want to follow your leadership. Your kids can tell when you've been with God. Your employer, your co-workers, even if they're unbelievers, they can tell when you've been with God. Didn't we read that from the story of Joseph? Potiphar said, the Lord is with him and blesses everything he does. Your local church community, your brothers and sisters that you fellowship with intimately, they can tell when you've been with God. So when we spend time in the presence of God, not only transforms us, it also equips us and prepares us to go into those spaces and places where we live and serve and lead and influence with God's power and presence. It prepares you for service. If you want a New Testament example of this, um, it's like the religious leaders who were interrogating Peter and John for healing the lame man by the gate of the temple in Acts chapter 4. And it says that as they were interrogating Peter and John, that they could tell that they had been with Jesus. People can tell when we've been with Jesus. People can tell when we haven't been. Our intimacy with God prepares us to effectively serve the people and the spaces and the places God has sent us. So why should we want to cultivate a regular rhythm of pursuing intimacy with God? It transforms us and equips us to do what God's called us to do. Can you see that? All of this is function is motivation, hopefully. And then finally, the practice of pursuing intimacy with God. Here's what you need. If you are going to begin to more regularly pursue intimacy with God, here's what you need. You need a plan. Nothing good consistently happens without intentionality and planning. God has made the world to run on rhythms. You know that, right? We have days and hours and weeks. The writer of Ecclesiastes said there's a time and a place for every purpose under the heaven. A time and a place for every purpose under the heaven. There's a time for this and a place for this. A time for this and a place for that. A time for this and a place for that. You must have a time and a place for the purpose of pursuing intimacy with God. Do you have a time? Do you have a place? Where there is no rhythm, there is no intimacy. I know we have this like ultra romantic idea of just like how our relationship with God is going to be very spontaneous and it's just going to happen and I just want it to be organic. I don't want it to be planned because then it doesn't seem real. Does that work in any other relationship? You think there needs to be spontaneity in order for there to be sincerity, but I would argue the opposite. Spontaneity is great when it happens. But planning reveals priority. Planning is not plastic. Planning says, this matters so much to me that I don't want to miss it. This is just wisdom. Those who fail to plan to pursue intimacy with God plan to fail to experience intimacy with God. So I think this idea is captured in a number of texts that call us to not be passive in our relationship with God, but to pursue him diligently. And on the other side of pursuing him diligently, intentionally, there is reward. For example, Deuteronomy 4.29 but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. There is an intentional, passionate, diligent reward when we go after God like that. Proverbs eight seventeen. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. I remember when I was doing college ministry for about three years when I was in seminary. And um, probably the number one topic of conversation that, that guys in my dorm would come and want to talk to me about was how they were struggling with either pornography or not being consistent in their devotions. And I would always try to yoke these two together. 
in Jeremiah 2 fashion. But one of the things that guys would always say would be, I've tried. I've tried to get something out of my devotions. I just get nothing out of reading my Bible. And so explain to me what it looks like for you to sit down and, and read your Bible. You know, well, you know, about 10 minutes before I need to run the class, I just kind of open up a proverb for the day and I read it and I say, all right, God. I'm like, are there any other relationships in your life right now that you're trying to cram in before class? How's that working? If we really believe it's a relationship, then we need to create some significant space to encounter and enjoy that relationship. And I have no, there's nothing wrong with memorizing scripture and meditating as you go and finding spaces and places to, get, to meditate and to continue meditation. But if that's all that you're trying to do, is that, if that's all that you're attempting to do to experience intimacy with God, you're going to have a weak relationship and a mind full of good theology. All right? Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. You want to draw near to God? Go hard after him. Create plenty of space to be with him. You say, I don't have time for that. You don't have time not to have time for that, brothers. If you're too busy to create significant space to fellowship with your God, then you need to sit down and rethink your schedule. Can, can I just be that front, up front with you? Say, I don't have time for this. Ain't nobody got time for that. You know? You must. You must. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. You don't just get things because you want them. You get things because you go after them. Now, desire isn't enough. It's part of it. It's not all of it. Oh God, you are my God. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. So what do I do? Earnestly seek you. It's not enough to just say, I'm feeling thirsty. No, you've got to get to the water. Right? Proverbs 13, 4. It's, it's, it's not enough to just want it. You've got to go for it. So those who fail to plan to pursue intimacy with God plan to fail to experience intimacy with God. However, those who plan to seek him find him. So I just want to encourage you guys. One of the most practical things that I think I can encourage you to do uh, in relationship to the, the general wisdom of Ecclesiastes 3.1, there's a time and a place for everything under the heaven. Um, where is your, what is your time and where is your place to pursue intimacy with God? When and where are you going to get before God's face in prayer? When and where are you going to get before God's face in the scriptures? When and where are you going to make time to respond to him in, in, in prayers and songs of lament and praise and thanksgiving and request? When, you, when are you going to do that? Maybe you're already doing that and you can just say, yes, exactly. My intimacy with God has increased as I have planned spaces and places for time with him. So plan a time and place to read and meditate on God's word. Plan a time and place to enter into your prayer closet. Plan a time and place to pour out your heart to God in song. Why should we want to seek to cultivate a regular rhythm of pursuing intimacy with God? Well, we looked at the priority. We were made and safe for this. We looked at the pleasure. We find our ultimate satisfaction in this. We looked at the profit. We are positioning ourselves to be changed and be equipped to do what God's called us to do. Guys, let's go after God. Let's lean in. And let's find him to be all that he has said that he is, not just in general, but for us, for you. Father, what a privilege, 
we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to you in prayer. God, we, our lives suffer. Our souls shrivel when we withdraw from you. When we're not seeking you, there's no other way to cut it. We're withdrawing from you. God, would you forgive us? We're sorry. God, we're sorry for not valuing what you have provided for us in Christ. We are sorry that we don't see the open doors into your presence as the greatest gift offered to us in this life and in the life to come. Would you forgive us for belittling and underestimating the blood of Christ that's made the way through the veil possible? We're sorry, Lord. We're sorry. And we also confess and acknowledge that we're missing out. And so God, would you help us to be men who unashamedly love to be intimate with you? Who talk to you about everything? Who listen to you about everything? May our Bibles be well-worn books. And may its pages be tattered and torn. I pray that we would find our voices increasingly lifted upward, singing to you and rejoicing in you and even pouring out our hearts in brokenness and lament before you when things are going awful. Asking you to help us trust you when life feels like it's falling apart. Oh God, you are our God. Father, you are our Father. Jesus, you are our Savior. Spirit, you are our helper. And would you help us prioritize being with you and help us to believe it'll make all the difference in our life. It'll change us, it'll equip us, and it will satisfy our souls. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.